If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Last Sunday, we looked at what we would call the Ask Passage, in which Jesus gave his, his followers the commandment to pray. He says, ask, seek, and knock. As I pointed out, take the A-S-K from ask, seek, and knock. spells out ask. And with it, he gives the promises that ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then, as if to reinforce it, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And as we saw last week, these promises have to do with grace, God's grace in our lives, grace that gives us discernment. Because at the beginning of chapter 7, he talks about not judging and not being hypocrites. So he gives us grace. We should pray for grace that we would not judge with regard to those within the Christian community, that we would not be hypocrites, that in our attitude attitudes toward one another, toward our brothers and sisters, we are to act neither as the judge, that is condemning, nor as hypocrites, blaming others while excusing ourselves. But rather, we are to love our brothers and sisters so much that we will correct ourselves. We will look at the beam that is in our eye before we even take a step to remove the speck that is in their eyes. But we also need grace, discernment, when dealing with those who are outside the Christian community, outside the kingdom, outside the church, those who are antagonistic. If you look at verse number six, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In the first relationship that Jesus deals with, that's within the community, within the family, We find disciples who are eager to help their brothers and sisters. Here, let me help remove that speck that is in your eye. You know, that thing you've done wrong, let me correct you in that matter. Here in this second relationship that is outside the kingdom, outside the church, again, we find disciples who are eager this time to convert those who are unbelievers and to share with them what is holy. In both cases, I think there's a a genuine desire to help those who are in need. There are those who tell us that we should share the gospel at any and every opportunity. But I think that this implies a lack of discernment, a certain lack of discernment. And the result may be that, in fact, the people that we are sharing the gospel with will trample it underfoot. It may, in fact, harden their hearts, I think, to the truth, they may then turn and damage those who are sharing the gospel. So in the same way that we are told not to judge, when we are told not to share what is holy with dogs, it doesn't mean that, well, what it means is we are to think. It doesn't mean, oh, don't worry about it, don't think, just, just do what you think is right. We are to be discerning. But when it comes to verse number six, the question may come up, how am I to know what is holy, what is sacred? How am I to know what are pearls? How am I to know who is a dog, who is a pig? And I think, sadly, we imagine that we can figure this out on our own. 
But I would suggest to you that we cannot, and this is where the commandment to ask, seek, and knock comes into play. In prayer, we are to ask that God would give us wisdom as to what we should share, when we should share, who we should share it with. I would argue that apart from the work of the Spirit, I will not know oftentimes what is sacred, what are pearls, who are dogs, and who are pigs. And you might respond, no, 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 Damon, I, I know what is sacred. I know what is precious. Okay, I may need a little help on distinguishing who is a dog, which is sort of demeaning. I'm not comfortable with that. Even worse, who is a pig. Uh, but otherwise, I'm good. I, I, I can do this on my own. And I would disagree. I would say if you can do it on your own, we would not need the ask passage at all because we could simply, in our own strength, do it. Consider some of the incidents in the life of Jesus in the Gospels in the light of his instruction to not give what is sacred to dogs, do not throw pearls to pigs. The first one that I would mention is found in Luke 7 where Jesus is invited and has dinner at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And I think we might say, Jesus, you need to be a little more discerning. I mean, don't you know about these Pharisee guys? I mean, that they're hypocrites, that they oppose you. Um, They are the religious establishment. Ultimately, they will put you to death. They reject your teaching. Why are you having dinner at this man's house? By the way, in the ancient world, who you ate with had a lot to say about who you were. In fact, Jesus was criticized by the religious establishment because he ate with, quote-unquote, sinners. There is a New Testament scholar who argues that ultimately Jesus was crucified. He was put to death because he broke all the social norms with regard to eating with people. Well, the passage continues. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And at this point, the Pharisee questions Jesus' discernment. I mean, we're questioning Jesus' discernment. He's eating at Simon's house. But Simon questions his discernment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. In other words, he is giving pearls, he's throwing pearls before pigs. He's giving what is sacred to a dog. Another incident, something that Dave spoke on the last time he spoke, and that's the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. A chief tax collector, and Jesus passed by him. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. We might well question this choice as well. The people there did. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be that guest of a sinner. On the question of paying taxes, in Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, that is Jesus in his words, They sent their disciples along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
if we could go back in time, we might say to Jesus, listen, you just walk away, okay? These people are trying to trap you. They don't, they're not, you know, they're not in a position to say, yeah, we want to believe what you say. These are your enemies. These are the people that are trying to trap you. And then the last incident is that of the rich young man, recorded in Mark 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God. And at this point, we might say to Jesus, don't give what is sacred to this young man. The story continues. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Again, we might feel confirmed in our judgment. This is a self-righteous person. This isn't a person who thinks he needs grace. This is a person who is content with who he is. And on some level, we might be right. But there's more. In each of these stories, in which we might say to Jesus, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be talking to this person. If left to our own devices, we wouldn't. And yet, well, let me stop a minute and say, we would make the case to Jesus that discernment is needed. Okay? You said don't give what is sacred to dogs, don't throw pearls to pigs. We would not have had dinner with the Pharisee. We wouldn't have gone to Simon's house. We would not have talked to Zacchaeus. Maybe we would have. Okay, that's, that's sort of an, an iffy call. We would not have engaged in a debate on paying taxes. And we probably would not have dealt with a self-righteous individual. You think you've, you're, you've kept all the commandments? Yeah, we probably wouldn't have dealt with them. But Jesus did. He went to Simon's house for dinner. He went to Zacchaeus' house. He did engage those who asked him a question by asking them a question in return. And he did engage the rich young man. And at the end of each of these encounters that I think we would say, yeah, I, I don't think you should be doing this. This is, this is giving what is sacred to dogs. We have profound statements that Jesus makes. At Simon's, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's uh, Luke 19.10, one of the memory verses I remember being taught and memorized uh, growing up. Failing to recognize it actually comes at the end of a story in which Jesus goes to the house of a sinner. Then on paying taxes, this is a wonderful passage, Jesus asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Talking about the coin. Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to him, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. 
That is, the coin had Caesar's inscription and his image. And who has God's image and God's inscription? We do. It's a very profound statement. And then with the rich young man, after the young man claims to have kept all the commandments, consider what comes next. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Here is grace. God's grace. But that's not all. There is instruction. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. If you and I are to know when we are to correct a brother or sister, when and how we are to avoid hypocrisy in our own lives, when and how to deal with non-believers, antagonistic or not, open to the gospel or not, So whether or not we should share what is sacred, we must ask, we must seek, we must knock, cry out for God's grace to give us discernment as to what we should do in each and every situation. I would suggest that such prayers should be part of our everyday prayer life because we don't know who we will come across in a given day. It isn't as though somebody comes up to us and we're like, Hold on a minute, I can't talk to you. I need to pray real quick. I need to find out what I should say to you. Um, we should, in fact, pray um, throughout the day, but certainly at the beginning of the day, say, Father, I don't know who I'm going to meet today, and I don't know the condition of their heart. I ask, I seek, I knock. Please give me the grace to be discerning. A question I think we need to confront is this. Will we make mistakes in this matter? The answer is absolutely yes, we will. We will fail to recognize the hardness in another person. We may, in fact, throw pearls before someone who has no interest whatsoever in the gospel. We might imagine that someone is interested when, in fact, they are not. Will we make mistakes? Yes, absolutely. We are fallen. We are imperfect. We may think, oh, this person is ripe. This person is ready to accept the Lord Jesus. When in fact, they're not at all. We may imagine someone to be so hard-hearted that he or she will have nothing to do with the good news of Jesus. When in fact, Jesus, or God the Father has brought them to a place where they are ready to receive his grace. Consider the story of Saul, who would later be known as Paul. Excuse me. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the believers there, to imprison them. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. In that moment, this man who was a participant in the stoning of Stephen, who in fact had arrested believers and was ready to arrest some more, in a split second, his heart was changed. In this sermon, Jesus commands us to ask, to seek, to knock for wisdom and grace in dealing with our brothers and sisters, in dealing with those who are opposed to the gospel, 
but in dealing with people in general. Because we hear Jesus say in verse number 12, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Again, I think we imagine, oh, the golden rule, I know this. I got this. I, I can do this. I will do to others what I would have them do to me. And I would suggest this is not the case. We are in dire need of God's grace. One last thing. Living when and where we do, it's probably the case that we will not give what is sacred to dogs. We will not throw pearls before pigs because we're not saying anything to anybody about the gospel. Usually because we are fearful. And such fear is not right. We should pray. We should ask, seek, and knock. And remember the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We should ask that what God would give us what we should say and to whom we should say it. Today we come to verse number 13. Our, our text today is actually two verses, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You may have noticed a shift here, and some have suggested that the Sermon on the Mount proper ends at verse number 12 with the golden rule. And now we come to the conclusion, if you wish, the application, perhaps in modern terms, the altar call, the call to action. Martin Luther wrote, our dear Lord has now finished preaching. He finally closes the sermon with several warnings to arm us against all sorts of hindrances. Some commentators have pointed out, if you look at Exodus uh, chapters 20 to 23, we're given the law, okay? And then in Leviticus uh, 17 to 26, we're given the law. And Deuteronomy 12 to 28. And at the end of these three passages of the law, we have what Jesus does here. We have warnings. Okay, I've told you what to do. Now here are the warnings. And this is what we find here. It is interesting when you look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, and I've argued it's a package deal, that it begins with unqualified tenderness. I've mentioned several times when Jesus begins and he says, blessed, somebody must say, this is going to be good. I mean, this, is, this is wonderful. Who doesn't want to be blessed? For those who feel unblessed, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who meek. Well, now we come to the end and we have unqualified toughness where we have this gentleness, this tenderness. We now have toughness. And he warns that his follower is not to be, uh, that to be a follower is not an intellectual option. It's not a set of suggestions. This is what I think you should do. Nor is it a philosophy of life among many choices. Yeah, this is a good one for you to choose. In fact, verses 13 and 14 are somewhat shocking. If you would sit down and read aloud to yourself chapters 5 and 6, and then you come to verse number 13, it's like, wait a minute. Chapters 5 and 6 seem so broad, so wide. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, there's, there's a wideness to it. And then suddenly he's talking about the narrow gate, the small gate, the narrow way. It leads to life. The other way leads to destruction. Uh, 
we might wonder, why does Jesus say this? Why is his way to be considered narrow? As we read these verses, we should be struck by the fact that there's an absolute nature to the choices before us. We would prefer that there be more than two choices, the two possibilities. And in fact, we would prefer if we could, you know, to say, you must choose one. We're like, no, I'd, I'd rather have more of a choice. We would, uh, almost like a buffet. You know, when you go to a buffet, you don't just get one thing, you get several things. And you, you know, the things that you like and you put them together, and that, I think we would prefer that not something so exclusive and intolerant. What, only one, there's only one right way? Why not just a mixture? Jesus will have none of it. We are to choose the right way. You'll notice there are four things here. First of all, there are two ways to choose from. This is not new with Jesus. And it's one of the things I think, if people have not read the Old Testament, they come to the Gospels, I think, boy, Jesus is so innovative. This is such new stuff. Um, like, blessed are the meek, that's from the book of Psalms. The two ways, from the book of Psalms. Psalm number one, verse number six. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. Two ways. So, Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of Scripture. He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So, we, we, we shouldn't be surprised when he says two ways are people like, yeah, that's, that's like the first psalm. This is what the verse says. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Those who delight in God's law bear fruit and prospers. The one who is the other is blown away by the wind and perishes. Here Jesus does, in fact, elaborate on the picture. One road is easy. It's broad, it's spacious, it's roomy. There's plenty of room for diversity of uh, opinions and of choices. There's no strictness. There's no narrow way about this is the right thing to do and those are the wrong, don't do those things over there. There are no boundaries, either of thought or conduct. Just be yourself. Follow your heart. Travelers on this road can follow their own inclinations, the desire of their own hearts. They can be filled with self-love. They can be hypocritical. They can go through the motions with regard to religious practice. They can have false ambition. And I would argue, by the way, these things don't need to be learned. They come quite naturally to us. There's no resistance here. We get to do what we want. There's no need to practice, to learn how to do them we come by it quite naturally. That's why this Broadway is easy. It is broad. On the other hand, the hard way is narrow. Its boundaries are clearly marked. Its narrowness is due to what we call divine revelation. It restricts the pilgrims who are on this path to the confines of what God has revealed in scripture, to be true, good, and beautiful. This is how you should live. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, describes that how at the age of 13, as a schoolboy, he began to broaden his mind. This is what he writes. I, soon, uh, I was soon altering I believe to one does feel and owe oh, the relief of it. 
From the tyrannous noon of revelation, I pass into the cool evening twilight of higher thought, where there was nothing to be obeyed and nothing to believe except what was either comforting or exciting. Don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. I will do what it is that I want. There are two ways. There are two gates. The gate leading to the easy way is wide. Simple matter. That's so that people can get in there. It's a broad way. You have, in fact, a wide gate. Um, One commentator put it this way. There is evidently no limit to the luggage we can take with us. We, lead, we need leave nothing behind. That's why you need that big gate, so you can bring it all with you. Not even our sins, self-righteousness, or pride. We can take it all with us. But the gate leading to the hard way is narrow, and it is easy to miss. And to enter it, we must leave everything behind. Our sins, our self-ambition, our covetousness. And, as we will hear from Jesus later on, even family and friends, if necessary. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There are two ways, there are two gates, there are two destinations. We saw this also in Psalm 1. One is that of prospering, the other is of perishing. Moses also made this clear in Deuteronomy uh, 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Jesus makes it clear that the easy way entered by the wide gate leads to destruction. What exactly this means is not spelled out. But in fact, we know that the small gate and the narrow way leads to life. So I think we could safely assume that if this one leads to life, The other one, in fact, leads to death. As Moses said, life and prosperity or death and destruction. And then there are two crowds. So there are four twos here. Uh, Two ways, uh, two gates, two destinations, and two crowds. And as we might expect, there are many on the easy, on the broad way, because there's plenty of room. Everyone can get in. One writer put it this way, it is a busy thoroughfare, thronged by pedestrians of every kind. On the other hand, the narrow way with the small gate, only a few find it. By the way, I think that this this narrow way is comparatively deserted. And I say comparatively, um, we shouldn't think, oh, only a very small number will be saved. But the vast majority of humanity will be lost. We, in fact, don't know. Um, In Revelation 7, John is taken up into heaven and in his vision. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We don't know. By the way, in a parallel passage to this Sermon on the Mount, in Luke 13, Jesus is asked very specifically. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? 
And what was his answer? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. In other words, he doesn't answer their question, does he? He says, listen, in essence, you're asking the wrong question. What you should be looking for is seeking to enter by the narrow gate. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing his followers. We saw this when we began chapter 7. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... He's teaching his disciples. He's teaching those who are his followers. The them are the disciples. Meaning that this isn't a message or a sermon for the whole world. People love to quote parts of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a package deal and it's for those who are followers of Jesus. And in this sermon, Jesus describes to his disciples what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And that's why here at the end, verses 13 and 14, we come to the whole business of two ways, two gates, two destinations, two crowds. The lesson, I'm convinced, is that the choice to follow Jesus is an ongoing matter. It's an ongoing thing, ongoing choosing. In John chapter 6, toward the end in verse number 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to him, does this offend you? You Did his teaching offend them? From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then even what Zib read to us today from John chapter 8. Earlier in the chapter, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. We believe you. We believe in you. To the Jews who had believed, so Jesus speaking to those who believe, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Familiar enough to us. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been the slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And it goes on and on. And I don't know if you were listening carefully as Zib read. It was the last verse of chapter 8. At this, they they picked up stones to stone him. It's like, excuse me? You were followers. You said we put our faith in you. And by the end of the chapter, they're ready to kill him. In the same way in chapter 6, those who were his disciples walked away. To be a follower of Jesus is not a once-for-all thing. When we come to faith in Christ, yes, but we are to be his followers every day. And we are to choose not the way of self-indulgence, the broad way to do whatever it is we want to do, but to follow the way of obedience. So here at the end, if it is in fact the altar call for the unbelievers, I think it's also an altar call for the believers to say, listen, if you're going to be my followers, every day you have to make the choice. Small gate, wide gate. Broadway, narrow way. The way to life, the way to destruction. You're going to hang out with the crowd, or are you going to be those with those who are my disciples? You know, in our day, this just seems really intolerant, just far too exclusive. 
Um, we would prefer a third choice or a fourth or a fifth. Why are there only two possibilities? And why do we only get to choose one? Um, Aristotle is famous for the golden mean. I don't know if you're familiar with this. That moral behavior is the mean between two extremes. That the one is excess, the other one is deficiency. And so you find the moderate, find the middle road between these extremes. And that, in fact, you'll be living a moral life. I think that most people who talk about the golden mean have, in fact, forgotten the moral aspect of it. They simply take it as a general principle. I'm not going to do extreme things. I'm just going to stay in the middle. And Jesus says, no. You've got to choose. Are you going to take the narrow way or are you going to take the broad way? And we who are the people of God must make this choice every day. Are we going to follow the Lord Jesus on the narrow path? Are we going to follow ourselves and take the broad way? And at the heart of this is ask, seek, knock. That on my own, on our own, we are not capable of making the right choices all the time. And we look to him for wisdom, for grace, to do what is right, to know when we should speak, what we should say. If, in fact, somebody needs to be corrected, and there are times when people need to be corrected, that we will do it with gentleness and respect. If somebody asks us, as Peter says, the hope, why, why do you live the way you do? What, what is this hope that you have that we can answer them as we should? It's a complicated matter. Um, you know, if somebody were to ask me, and, and people have, are you a Christian? My first instinct is, hey, yes, I am. But I've come to see that maybe need to back off a little and say, what do you mean when you say, are you a Christian? Because what they mean by Christian may, in fact, have nothing to do with who we are. We require wisdom, discernment, and we need God's grace to do that. And when we converse among ourselves, as we will after the service, we should ask for discernment, that we will speak as we should. Perhaps listen more than we speak. We should not feel self-sufficient. I got this covered, Damon. I can do this. I can live by the golden rule. We are always in need of God's grace. And I would remind you of the four incidents I, I pointed out um, where Jesus walked into situations where like, mm, don't do that. That's, that's dangerous. And yet Jesus had discernment that we lack. And in difficult situations, he spoke words of grace. We should take this to heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is shocking if we think about it, how self-sufficient we think we are. That you've given us commands and we're ready to go. We can do this, we think. We fail to recognize our ongoing need of grace. 
We should not imagine that once we are on the narrow path, we're set. We should, in fact, recognize that day by day, by your grace, we would choose to be on the narrow path, not give in to our self-desires, our, to be indulgent, but in fact to do what is right. And to do what is right is oftentimes way more difficult than to do what is wrong. It's an easy path. And as we deal with our fellow human beings, believers or not, we need grace. We need discernment. Give us grace, we pray. And may we look to you every day for that grace. I thank you for bringing us together today. It's great that Dan and Lonnie are with us. Tom is back. We're grateful that Oscar, Zib, and the boys are with us. And we pray that you would cover them, you would provide them with safety for this young man that was gunned down in their neighborhood today. You would be with him for the ones who did the shooting. May you do a work of grace in their lives. For Robert, this elderly man, deeply affected by the shooting, give him peace. We pray for the people of Haiti. Pray for the people of this country living in dangerous times. But you know all this. Help us to trust you. We thank you for your love, which is shown to us in so many different ways. In birthdays, for Tessa's birthday, for Feli getting her citizenship. These are wonderful markers of your grace. May we always remember. As we leave this place today, may your spirit and your grace go with us. May we have a sense of your presence as we walk through the world in the coming week. As we travel, as we stay home, whatever we do, may we know that you are right there with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.